Welcome to C3 Belconnen. Here's the latest message from our senior pastor, Nick Pint. a really interesting term um, that, that I, I've been thinking about more and more uh, again lately that I, I heard way, way back um, amongst the, the 20 different things I studied at uni before I figured out what I actually wanted to do and then got a degree that I've never actually used. Uh, one of the things, I did a class or two in psychology and I heard about this thing called the bystander effect and watching the news lately, watching social media as we've seen, uh, you know, the, the bushfires and the catastrophes in our nation of late, but then also globally with the spread of coronavirus and, and really, you know, just pick a time Time and there's something going on that is spreading like wildfire and there's something to be said about it. But what, what I've noticed is that this, this reminded me of this concept called the bystander effect. Let me tell you about that really quickly. Psychologists uh, studied and coined this term um, based on, on a, an unfortunate set of circumstances uh, where, where a crime was committed against another person in full view of two apartment blocks full of people uh, who looked out from their windows, saw it happening and did nothing. And psychologists were fascinated by why no one went to this person's aid. And they, as they studied and interviewed people, they figured out that everybody thought somebody else would do something about it. And they've discovered through various tests, things like putting people in a waiting room and uh, filling the room with a bunch of actors and then letting smoke seep in from under one of the doors. Normally, that's an alarm bells kind of situation. And they found the more people that there were in the room who did nothing, the less likely that anybody was to do anything. Uh, a, a circumstance that is clearly not okay, if other people do nothing, you're more likely to do nothing. Isn't that fascinating? And so what I've noticed of late is that we've got really good at catastrophizing. We take any problem and we upscale it, right? And so we, we, we want it to be, we say, hey, this is a national problem, or this is a cultural issue, or this is a systemic, or hang, hang on, this is a global problem. And that absolves me of needing to do anything about it. What starts local, if I can upscale it enough, it's somebody else's, so it's the Prime Minister's fault, or it's the UN's fault, or somebody else has to do something about this. And, and we disempower ourselves. We feel like we have no, sometimes we throw a bit of money at it from a distance. But it's this weird phenomenon that's going on where we see the need around us, but, but fail to connect to it personally. And it's actually probably one of my greatest fears as a pastor, is that we would talk a lot about the fact that Jesus came to save a lost and a dying world, that he gave his life for us, and uh, that he passionately cares about every person on this planet, whoever has been and ever will be, uh, but get so caught up in what we do that we actually forget to be a part of what God is doing. And so we've spent three weeks sharing about what really drives us as a church, that we are, that we are so committed to gathering together that we are passionate about growing together and we come to bring this mindset of giving that is really the glue of community. We don't see this Christian journey as one we do on our own, but one that we do together, that we all have a part to play in. And so the, you know, an attitude, a mindset that says, I've got something to give is the glue of community, right? 
But, but today I wanna to add one final thought to this concept and say, hey, this, this idea of the village that we love and we celebrate, actually we're, we're not just created for the village, but to call to go beyond uh, the village. That the, really the challenge as so often of a life of faith in Jesus is not one thing or the other, but how to actually do both and bring them together. That we're not called just to gather, we're actually called to go out, but we're not called just to be dispersed to the four corners of the globe because there's power in community. Hebrews uh, chapter 10 sums this up really uh, well. I think we've got a few verses from about verse 23. Uh, there to pop on the screens for you. Uh, And it actually tells us uh, that we should keep gathering together, that we should stick together, that we should uh, not neglect this, but actually we've got a role to play to stir each other up. Verse 23 of Hebrews 10 says, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope that we affirm for God can be trusted to keep his promise. That's good news. Let us think of ways to motivate one another, stir one another up to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. You and I have got this incredible sacred call to be in community together as followers of Jesus, but that is not to make us complacent, that's to stir us up so that I'm, I'm encouraged and challenged by what God is doing through Patrick and Rebecca, or I go to, go to youth and chat with somebody there and I'm inspired by what these guys are pouring into our young people's lives, or I have a chat with you about what God's doing in your connect group, or see somebody serving joyfully on a team and it stirs me up and inspires me as well. You see, the, the thing is, you may not be able to solve world hunger, but you can make somebody a meal. You may not be able to solve the systemic problem, fix it at a national or a global level, but there's probably something this week that you can do to make a big difference in somebody else's world. And as much as we are called to come together, we are called for really more than anything for this place to be a catalyst for something that sparks and inspires us to be used by God where where you and I touch down when we leave this place. In your neighborhood this afternoon, in in your workplace this coming week, uh, in your family, in your other relationships where God has placed you is not by accident. There is something for you to do right where you are. It's so powerful as we work together, but we can't allow that to absolve us of any individual responsibility to be a part of what God is doing. You know, as Jesus began his ministry, he went about generally saying, come follow. It was a call to be with him, a call to follow and to learn from him. But as he departed, the the message changed and it went from come follow to go tell. He actually didn't leave the disciples saying, hey, all right, you've got a bunch of things. I want you to spend the next couple of years writing them all down, studying them, turning them into great concepts and ministry plans. And, and he actually said, go, get out of here. Go and do what I have empowered you to do. You might have heard of something called the Great Commission. In Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20, we read this, this commissioning by Jesus of those who'd been followers of his. And it's possibly quite familiar to a lot of you, but it's the kind of uh, statements that we've got to go around and around again and again. So Jesus came and told his disciples, and this, this, this verse is so important, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth, complete and total authority. Therefore, a little word like therefore uh, in the Bible that the next verse, verse 19 starts with, uh, really is, is so much more powerful than it might seem. I've been given all authority, he says, therefore under this authority, because of this authority, by and through this complete and total authority, go out in power. 
Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I've given you. And be sure of this, I'm gonna be with you always, even to the end of the age. Therefore, go is one of the most powerful phrases in your Bible. Therefore, go. You and I are called to lead lives that go beyond, that go beyond our our comfort zone, that go beyond what we are used to, and that go out into this world, out into other people's worlds. You may not be able to change the world, but you sure as heck can make a huge difference in somebody else's world. We've got to realize that we're part of something so much bigger than us. It began before us. It's bigger than us in this present moment, and it will carry on after us. But that's not to put us on the bench. It's actually to bring us into the picture even more so. As God weaves His incredible story together throughout history, there's a part for every single one of us to play. You know, Colossians chapter 1 and verse 6 puts this so well. You know, uh, we're literally, uh, over these last uh, several months, have been talking and you know, um, um, being fascinated by things that are spreading really, really quickly. Actually, the gospel is the most powerful, contagious thing on the planet. So the same good news, so this is Colossians chapter one, that came to you, Paul writing to a group of people who'd be recently become followers of Jesus. He says, it's going out all over the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. That when the gospel touches down in our lives, when the good news about Jesus Christ, when the reality that He gave His life for you and I, that He made a way where there was no way for us to be right with God, when we really understand that, when it's not just something we do on a Sunday, when it's not just a a pattern of behavior, but we understand how radically God has changed our lives and transformed our eternity, then that is the most contagious thing on this planet. Then it's something that we can't and shouldn't stop sharing. But, but you know what? The, the crazy thing is it actually takes effort from us to close it down. And we might not even realize that we, we are letting so many things get in the way. We're letting busyness, we're letting fear, we're letting uncertainty. Uh, all these other things get in the way of what God has begun in us. And really my, my heart, my goal here today is, is maybe just to remind us. I don't feel like uh, I stand in front of a group of people, myself included, who don't want to help others understand what they've received in Jesus Christ. I think we just get distracted, we get busy, we get intimidated, we get fearful. We, we just sometimes lose sight of what really matters. And so the power of what we get to do here together is not just in a moment like this, it's what happens after. It's what flows out from this place. The same good news that came to you, God has intended to send it out and to produce fruit all over the world. God calls us in to send us out. As Jesus prepared the disciples for his departure, even after he'd gone to the cross and after his resurrection, he gathered with them again, they were still grasping to this hope that he would do it all for them. You see, they, they, he was this Messiah, the promised king, the deliverer, and they were people in a desperate situation. When Jesus came and walked the earth, his people, the Jews, they were oppressed and they were in slavery. They were in a, uh, dominated by a foreign culture. Their religious practices, their history, their heritage was being attacked and, and challenged on every front. And they were looking for a redeemer, a deliverer who would come and overthrow physically and politically the government that was holding them down and keeping them in oppression. 
And so their people were constantly looking for Jesus to do something about that. They were expecting Him to, to come in military might. They were expecting someone to overthrow all of the obstacles that they faced. And I'm fascinated, even as they, they have these moments of clarity, as Jesus shows them that actually going to the cross, it was in, in what seemed uh, like a weakness that His victory would be played out. And you see these moments where they kind of get it. And they see him resurrected and the light bell, you know, bulbs go on and they understand Jesus, this is what it's about. It's a new way of living that the kingdom of God is in us. It's not just something that's gonna happen to us or around us. But I love the fact that, that even as Jesus is preparing to depart in the his final moments with the disciples that are recorded uh, by Luke in Acts chapter one, we're gonna pick it up in a moment from verse seven, but just before that, uh, it says he was sitting and eating with them and he said, don't leave until uh, you, you get what the Father has promised, this gift of the Holy Spirit. You're gonna be baptized and you're gonna be filled with power. And it says, so when they were with him, they kept asking, Lord, now is it, is it now the time? Are you gonna come and free us and restore your kingdom now? Like, good plot twist, Jesus. You've really left it too late in the picture. You've kind of let the whole thing play out and we didn't get the death and resurrection thing, but wow, it was amazing. And now you're gonna get to it, aren't you? Now, right at the final moment. And Jesus says to them, no, the Father alone has authority to set those dates and times. They're not for you to know. But... Stop fixating on, on when I'm gonna come and do it all for you, but, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria and to places like Australia, to the ends of the earth, to this very day. Jesus' call was come see and his commission was go tell. You and I are called to be in the business of going. And going's actually a lot easier than it sounds. You see, we take words like witness there. You're called to be my witnesses. And we, we put all sorts of Christian expectation around them and we hype them up and we remove them from what they kind of actually mean. And it sounds like the kind of thing that, that you have to look weird doing. Do you have to stand out? Don't you have to be on a street corner on a little you know, wooden crate with a, with a big old Bible preaching to people to be a witness for God? But let's, let's think about for a moment what, what the word witness actually means. It's somebody who can give a personal account of what is true. A witness is called in, in court to provide their eyewitness, their account, I saw, and here's my picture of the truth. Here's my very personal account of the truth. That's ultimately what a witness is. If you're a follower of Jesus, He's transformed your life. He's, he's taken you from an eternity away from Him and brought you into relationship with God the Father. He has made a way. He has forgiven your sins. He has transformed your life. He has done something in your world. And we lose sight of that. But actually being a witness is just actually being able to personally attest to the truth. Being able to say what God has done in my world. And you know what? I don't even have to do that with any spiritual language. I don't even have to do that by quoting Bible verses. I can actually just live that out. There's going to be an opportunity for me this week. There's going to be one for you. There's probably going to be many for each and every one of us to live this out if we get this mindset of going. It's so easy to forget. I've got to tell myself this all the time. It's so easy to get busy doing things for God or get busy just with life and forget what God has really called us into. You know, one of the first steps is just to show up with a little bit of a tent, intent. To go into your everyday world and expect God to use you. 
just to be on the lookout for opportunities. What would it look like if you encouraged that person? What would it look like if you'd carved out enough time just to ask an extra question and find out what's really going on in somebody's world? Maybe there's somebody who needs prayer. Maybe they just need a, a meal or an encouragement. Maybe you can buy them a coffee. What would it look like to just take that little step into somebody else's world and know that when you show up, presence and power of God comes with you? You know, that's what Jesus did. He showed up. John chapter 1, verse 14 is one of the coolest verses in the Bible, and I love the way that they put it in the message uh, translation. Uh, And it says um, in the New Living that uh, we've seen the Word became human and made His home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. So we've seen His glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. The message says this, the Word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Don't you love that terminology? Jesus showed up. The ultimate act of going beyond was God sending Jesus out of, out of the perfect harmony of the Trinity in heaven, out of a place where he was glorified and honored to what theologians call his humiliation to become like us. He showed up and moved into the neighborhood. And that's what Jesus did as he walked this earth. He, he actually showed up and moved into people's worlds. He didn't stay at a distance just proclaiming his message. He went into people's homes. He stood beside them when they were being accused uh, by others and he defended them. He went through and smashed through every cultural barrier, every, every possible boundary that people could have put on him. He went beyond and he went through all of those And that matters for you and I. He's the ultimate example of going beyond. God went beyond for you and I by sending Jesus. Galatians 4 says in verse 4 and 5, But when the right time came, God sent His Son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent Him, sent Him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so He could adopt us as His very own children. How cool is that? When the right time came, God sent Jesus to purchase our freedom so that we could be in relationship with Him, the ultimate act of going beyond. If you want a little bit of homework this week, have a look at one of the ways Jesus did that in John chapter four. I don't have time to go through it in detail right now, but in John four, Jesus and the disciples are on the the ministry trail and he stops off at a well and the disciples go on running some errands. They're looking for something to eat and Jesus has this encounter with uh, a woman and this woman was someone he never would have normally come across. They were racially different, and that mattered a lot. They, she was from a group of people that traditionally the, the Jewish people despised and, and, and saw as almost less than human. They were racially opposed in so many ways. Culturally, he was a teacher. She was a commoner. He was a holy one. She was anything but He was a man, she was a woman, over and over and again. There were reasons for this encounter not to happen. The disciples come back from their shopping trip and are stunned that he's speaking to the woman. Jesus has revealed, uh, you know, all of her, laid her life bare to her, and uh, she has started to believe in him as a savior, runs off, tells a whole village full of people who come out and hear the good news about Jesus, and the disciples just missed the whole thing. Jesus was so committed to pushing past any of these barriers and boundaries. Any social convention, when people brought children to him and the disciples tried to shoo them away, he said, no, you're missing the picture. You're getting it wrong. He went beyond culture and who we talked to, beyond mindsets like that one about where the children fit into the picture. 
He went beyond convention and everything that was expected of him. He went beyond his own self-interest. He allowed himself to be moved by where people, when was the last time you were moved more by somebody else's world than yours? I'm just asking myself that right now. When was the last time I was moved more by somebody else's world than by what I feel like I want or I need? Jesus was moved beyond comfort. He, he went into people's homes. He didn't just stay at a distance and tell everybody what it should look like. And the ultimate beyond, he went to the cross for our sins. And ultimately, as followers of Jesus, every one of us is called to live in the same way, to know what he has done for us and to allow that to motivate us to be a part of somebody else's world. And, and here's a little bit of encouragement alongside the challenge here today. Don't, don't make it too big. Don't elevate it. Don't do what we're so good at doing and make it such a big deal that, that I don't even know how to engage with it. It's not like a worldwide pandemic. It's not like a natural disaster. There's actually something you can do, even this week, that's right in front of you if you'll be bold enough to pray the kind of prayer that says, God, what would it look like for me to be used by you? What would it look like if I took what you've put on the inside of me? You know, I know there's so many barriers that we can face. Sometimes we just don't know where to start. What would that look like? I know I'm not talking to an unmotivated group of people. I feel today we just need to pull down some of these barriers. We tell ourselves we're too busy, that we've got nothing to offer. We just let fear and intimidation get in our way. Maybe we're not sure uh, how to start. But the good news is that it's not just you on your own. It's not just about going out ill-equipped and unprepared. God has already done something in your world. Jesus' promise in the Great Commission was, I will be with you. You go out under my authority and power and I will always be with you. But hey, you've got each other too. I mean, what would it look like if you talked in your connect group about this and prayed and looked at opportunities? What would it look like if you became a conversation in your home amongst your friends and your, and your family to encourage and stir one another up to these sort of acts and opportunities as we're, as we're told in Hebrews there? Stir up what God has put on the inside of you. You know what I think the, one of the greatest things we could possibly do is carve out some time. Most of us have allowed every bit of our time to get used up. What would, it, what would it look like if you set aside one hour this week? Just one hour. If you're, if you're like at the end of your work day and you think about one hour, it feels like a big amount of time. But if you stand at the, at the head of a, at the start of a brand new week, right, with, with however many hours there are in a week, I should have done the maths on that before I got up, but there's a lot of them. 168, is it something like that? If, if, you, if you were to carve that out and think, what would it look like half an hour? One hour, just to carve out a little bit. You'll spend way more time doing unmentionable things that in that, this week than that. But one hour. What if, what if you just carved out a little bit of time this week and said, God, would you use that if I give it to you? What could I do? How could I be a blessing to somebody? How could I just reignite in myself that willingness to step out, to go into somebody else's world and to be used by you? We get the team to come as we draw to a close. This might help some people here, this thought. As Jesus drew close to his final moments on earth, he prayed this incredible prayer for his disciples. And you'll see in these couple of verses that includes you and I to this very day. And in this verse or two, there is an incredible key for us about how to go about this. And in John chapter 17, it's recorded this amazing sort of high priestly prayer that Jesus prayed for his disciples. And 
He's praying to his Father and he says, just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. And I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they may be made holy by your truth. I'm praying not only for these disciples. How cool is this? This brings you and I into the picture. But for all of those who will ever believe in me through their message. That, that prayer of Jesus echoes through 2,000 years of history to you and I to this very day. Just as you have sent me, Father, so I send them. You know what would have made all the difference in that very first set of circumstances that inspired psychologists to coin that term, the bystander effect? If just one of those people knew that they were sent, if there had been a police officer, a a member of the emergency services who knew that the call on their life, knew that they were required, sent to step in in situations like that. Isn't it amazing? You can have a room of people who, not this room, but you can have a group of people who will stand back and do nothing. But if just one person knows that they are sent, that, that they are called out to do this sort of thing, it changes everything. What would it look like if every single one of us walked out of this place today going, hey, I'm one of those sent ones. Jesus prayed, Father, as you have sent me, I send them with all his power and authority, commissioned to make a difference in this world. Don't let it be so big that you never know how to engage with it. This week, what would it look like for you to take a step? Thanks for listening to our latest Sunday message. If you would like to find out more about our church, just visit www.c3bellconnor.org.au.